Good morning. Wow, look at this crowd. I think it's just because all the young people are here. Um, it's good to have you young folks. Um, I want to toss something out to you at the start of the next two weeks. And that is, uh, as anybody will tell you that's been in these Sunday school lessons over the last few weeks, there is more that we can talk about than I have the time to talk about. Okay, so up here is, is, is Pam's bag. Those of you who have been our hunger pen have seen this bag. Um, there's paper and pens in here, okay? So if through the process of today and through the process of next Sunday, if I say something that makes you go, hmm, but what about, or, you know, um, what about this problem that I've been seeing? Um, write it down. You don't have to put your name on it. Just write it down. Give it to Pam or me. Um, and if you do it today, there's a good chance I'll get to that next week. Okay. Um, so there's a lot to cover, more than I can cover in two Sundays. <clears throat> Before I get started, let me pray for us, and then um, we'll talk about where we're going. Let's pray. Great Father in heaven, we humbly come before you. We, we know that of ourselves we don't have any answers. Uh, there's nothing special to any one of us to be able to solve any problem in our lives. But you are our Father. And you have given us everything that we need to know in your word. Father, help us to walk through your word today and to truly understand what it involves to be a man. Open our hearts, our minds, and, our, and activate our feet, Lord. Help us not just think these things and to know these things, but help us to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I've told a couple of folks that I've talked to already in the last couple of days, the, the trajectory of today's lesson has changed. A week ago, I was going to talk about specific subjects. Here's the parents' view on this subject. Here's the children's view on this subject. Here's how parents should respond. Here's how children should respond. And I think God said, I don't like that idea. I want you to do something different. And the reason that I feel that way is I've stumbled upon four different podcasts this week, not looking for them, looking for other things, five different articles, three different books on biblical manhood. And I'm starting to think that maybe God wants us to know what it means to be a man. You're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a young fellow. What do, why do I need to worry about that right now? Or I'm a girl. Why do I need to worry about that right now? And I'm going to get to that. But I want you to understand a couple of things. There's so much here. Again, I can't cover it all in the 35 minutes I've got. Okay? So if you have questions or you want to flesh out this idea more, come see me. We'll talk about it. If I don't know from the study that I've done, we'll go find it, okay? Um, let me talk about two specific books that um, I am going to push John to get four or five copies of each of these and get them on the book table because every one of you men need to read both of these books. The first one, Owen Strahan, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. The second book is called Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs by Josh Hawley, a sitting United States senator from the state of Missouri, writing on 
and if I listened to a podcast of him this week with Al Mohler, and Mohler said, you're a sitting United States senator. I was not expecting the theological lesson that I got. You need to read that book. Um, I, I downloaded it this week, and I started going through it. And, and like I said, there's more than I can give you in 35 minutes. And I'm going to do what he did. I'm just going to walk through the scriptures. So here's my question. So we're going to start with questions. I always start with questions. In today's society, I can't put that away yet. I need it. In today's society, what does manhood mean? That is about the most perfect answer I could have gotten from any group. Because nobody in society knows. I've seen the looks on the faces. Okay, let me, let me throw some things out there. Maybe you've heard these things. Things that I've heard working in the education system. Uh, masculine virtues are toxic. Men are to blame for all the problems in our society. Men are dangerous. Manhood is oppressive. It's hate-filled patriarchy. Have you heard these things? Or at least, it's a social construct. It's something that, that society created. Now, young men, older men, most of you in here have either had all of your life listening to this from society or in my case, most of my adult life listening to this coming from society. So here's my question. What effect does this have on you? You can't tell me that you haven't heard it. You can't tell me you haven't experienced it if you live in this world. Confusion. What? Confusion. Confusion, yeah. Disheartening, disheartening, demotivating. Um, how many of you? How many of you in here have worked in education at some point? Is that how you saw the boys in your classroom? Angry. Well, how what the behaviors you saw from them? Discouraged, felt like they're stupid. I, I, I'm I'm speaking from. Specifically, the last 13 years that I worked in education. More than one boy has said to me, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I can't do this. And they can. They've proven to me that they can. I know they can. Um, I don't know what... Uh, this. I heard this from a ninth grader. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Do any of these questions resonate with some of you? How am I supposed, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, uh, John Stoltenberg says, um, when you talk about healthy masculinity, it's like talking about healthy cancer. That was in the feminist current. That's an excerpt from Josh Hawley's book. That's society's view on manhood. So, let me ask people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ and trust in the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God what's manhood? Leading. Okay. Self-sacrifice. 
Okay. Standing for principle. Okay. Just look at Christ and see everything he is and everything he did. There's our example. Okay. Because he is the true man. So we've got a good start here. Let's see what scripture says. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. I saw that look. Some of you knew I was going here. So while you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, it shouldn't take you long. It's the first page. Um, Let me read a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for you. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Well, we're going to figure out what that means from a biblical perspective. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, I'm, we're going to work our way through this fairly quickly, but I want to point out just some traits of manhood that we see as we work through these scriptures. Okay? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Stop. What's the first piece of being a man? An image bearer. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. Uh, Men are toxic. Is God toxic? Because you're an image bearer of Him. That should be the first thing that comes to your mind any time you start to hear those lies coming from society. That is not true. I am an image bearer of God. Well, the reason they say masculinity is toxic is because they hate God and they do believe God is toxic. True. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that because that's a very strong piece to one of the things that I'm going to talk about. So thank you. I am going to come back to that. The next part of that verse is, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm going to skip down to 28. Uh, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion. Dominion, twice used in that passage. When you hear the word dominion, what do you think of? Ruler. Ruler. Men, you are called to be a king. Christ is the king, right? And we live in his kingdom. And he has apportioned to us an area to be king over. There's there's worth and majesty in that. Let's back up. Verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. How, what other aspect of manhood has God created? What? Being a male. Yeah. In what form? Male and female. And He said to them, next part of the verse, and He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Make 
to be to be a husband first, right? And to be a father. Part of the reason that our society is in such chaos is because they've told boys that all the things that God has said that make them who they are are things that are not important. Being a man is not important. Being an image bearer of God is not important. Being a husband is not important. Just put it off. Uh, I understand some of the arguments with this, but when somebody says uh, to me that I was way too young for that person to get married, have you lost your mind? Do you know what kind of world they live in? Do you know? This goes back to our this goes back to our lesson on temptation, doesn't it? What are you supposed to do with temptation? Flee and we're called to war, folks. You to kill it. You're to kill it, which means you don't live in a way that allows temptation to go on and on and on. And on, and if you look at our society, that's what they want men to do. That's why pornography has such a large grip on people's lives, and not just men. Ever hear how popular Fifty Shades of Grey is with women? Folks, that's pornography. So, men, you're called to be a husband first. And you're called to be a father. Now, I'm not going to get into the singleness conversation. If you want to talk about that, we'll talk about that later and after. But I'm talking about God's primary expectation for most men. To be a husband and a father. And just in case you think that I'm making this up, look at the last four words in verse 31. What's it say? And it was very good. It wasn't a mistake. It's not toxic. You're not a danger to society. It's very good. Now, jump to verse 15 in chapter 2. So, so far we've seen the kingly aspect of, of being a man. We've seen the father aspect of being a man. We've seen the husband aspect of being a man. Now look at this verse. And God, Yahweh God, took the man and set him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. There's three things going on in this verse. <coughs> What's the first one? Hmm? He set him by God. God placed him to do what? To work. This whole thing of eternal adolescence, the playing of video games and not working a job, is a problem. Dads that play games constantly. You're called to work. Now remember, this is Genesis chapter 2, not Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall of men. Sin enters the world. So is work sin? No, it is not. 
sin to work. But what does the work look like? This is so important. What two words does he use? To cultivate it and to keep it. When you, how many of you have spent time in the garden, John? Not lately. <laughs> when you cultivate something, what are you doing? Helping it flourish. Helping it flourish. You're caring for it, right? Giving it food, giving it water, removing anything that might be harmful to it. Now, is there a is there an aggressive, violent aspect to this, John? Aggressive, violent. Yes, to to cultivating your garden. Well, you have to be pretty aggressive to keep the weeds out, and you get pretty mad at them when they're in there. <laughs> um, break the but you got to break the ground. You got to tear out the weeds, and some of them grow deep roots. Man, you're called to be aggressive but aggressive in God's way. Aggressive towards the things that will hurt and harm the things of the people that you're supposed to cultivate. You should go go to battle for those that need you. You don't battle those who need you. You nurture, you care for it. We're going to come back to this. Okay, so that's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 3, what happens? You've already said it. What happens? Some of you young ones, uh, you obviously haven't sat in my classroom in a long time, in a while. And uh, next week, be ready because I'm coming for you. Start asking you questions. Your parents are learning how this works. You guys are going to learn how this works too. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? The fall. Man sinned, right? Now, does that remove the image of God in us? Doesn't remove it. Does mar it. Right? We still have, he still calls us to work. Look at Genesis 3, 10. He still calls us to work. You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In the pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will grow for you. He doesn't tell us that we have to stop working because we've sinned. He tells us it's going to be hard. What verse was that? Uh, 310 and 11. Sorry. Sorry. 317 and 18. So I want you to jump to Ephesians chapter 5. Because we have a good picture of what makes a man right now. We know that man has fallen because of Genesis chapter 3. But now we're going to jump from before the cross to after the cross. And I haven't set the stage with this group like I did with the, the adults earlier. So I'm going to take a moment to do that. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about, everything that we're talking about, are the expectations 
of a believer in Jesus Christ who is repentant of their sins and to know that they need to follow what Christ has called them to do in the Word of God. If that's not you, none of this is going to make sense. So if you don't have faith in Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and accepted the Christ that Christ paid for your sin, this is going to be, first, uh, foolishness to you. And secondly, you're going to think that I'm off my rocker. And that's okay. But your repentance is the first key to everything that we talk about today and next week. Now, I'm focusing on dads today, and I'm hitting dads hard today, but it's coming for the rest of you. Because God doesn't let you off the hook simply because your dad's not doing what he's supposed to do. And we'll get to that next week. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, Christ has come. As John said, Christ embodies everything that a man is supposed to be. So, what does that look like in your house tonight when you go home? Okay, so let's, let's take a look and see what that looks like. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is always where people start to get their, their fur up. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. And that's always where people stop, right? But you know what? The husband is the head of the wife. Who was created first in Genesis? Jesus quoted this very thing. Who was created first in Genesis? Who was given ultimate dominion over everything that God has given him charge of? Man. All he is doing is reiterating what he told us at the beginning. Now, what does that headship look like? Don't stop reading. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Stop. So if husband is head over the wife, as Christ is head over the church who is the savior of the body, what does that tell you about your being a husband and the head of your household? Guys. The good of our household is dependent on the responsibility of the husband okay. and the father. The good of your household is, like, is on your shoulders. Uh, you can, you know, kind of following that. We can't save as Christ saves, but right. the but what premise can we pull from that? God was, Christ was what? The great protector. He took your sin for you and your punishment for you. He stood in the gap for you. He is the one who paid the price for you. Do you hear the warrior's call here? Headship is not, you're going to do this because I'm the head. Headship is, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. Read, read the rest of this, this passage here. Um, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. And he says this three different times. Why? Because men have hard heads. Just as Christ 
also loved the church and gave himself for her. I love my wife. I tell her all the time. Or what's that one guy? I told her when I married her. If it changes, I'll let her know. (laughs) The way you love your wife is to give yourself for her. If she needs help with something, you give up your personal pleasures to take care of it. You want it practical? (laughs) What she needs in that moment is what you're called to do. It's hard. Because like Adam, we are passive and we are selfish and we want what we want. But God wants us to serve our wives. And I guarantee you, you serve your wife and she will have no problem submitting herself to you. Because she will know that you, are, that you love her. It says right here, love your wives. How? By serving them. Okay? And, and there's a priestly aspect to this, isn't there? That standing in the gap for. Okay? So you're called to be an image bearer. You're called to be a, a father. You're called to be a husband. You're called to be um, um, a builder, a nurturer. You're called to be a priest. Verse 26. So that you don't get there, Greg, but I got to say the problem with that is we don't do that. Yes. And that's where it gets twisted. Because we've had these conversations in my house. That's where the world gets in there is because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Okay, time out. messed it up for us. You're right. So how do we fix it? Be who it says for us to be. Okay, it goes back to our temptation and our our addictions, right? What decision do you make in the moment? Well, that didn't act like that yesterday. Nope, sure didn't. I blew it, but we're going to do it right today. Correct. Remember... What is it? Um, I don't remember the. I don't remember the address. Um, you're a living sacrifice. You know the problem with the living sacrifice. It continually crawls off the altar. Which means you have to put it back there. When you sin, dads, your sacrifice has crawled off the altar. You need to put it back. And it's when you don't that passiveness sets in. And your home goes crazy. Your home may go crazy anyway. I'm even talking about the image that comes to, and I don't want to try to get in the the, the minds of women that are sitting here or wherever else, but they don't think, and hear me out, they, they don't think about us the way that if we acted the way we would. They can only think and vision what the world tells them is when people screw up. And that's the problem. That's what I'm saying is, if we give them more images of doing right, it wouldn't be like subject to what? Okay. Submit so, to who? So, you know what I mean? Okay. So, so I don't want to speak for women. I can speak for my girls because we're having these conversations. When we deal with peacemaking last week, where do we start? Ourselves. Where? Ourselves. With ourselves. Absolutely. So, dads, start with yourself. But my wife, dads, start with yourself. But my wife, dads, start with yourself. Because 
when God is sure that you're focused on the right thing, He'll start worrying about somebody else. You need to make sure that you're being obedient regardless. That's the hard thing of being a man. It doesn't matter what your wife does. You're still called to love her. Children, it doesn't matter what your parents have done. You're still called to obey them. It doesn't say, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting into next week. It doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands when they're being nice to you. Husbands, it doesn't say, love your wives sacrificially, giving up for her everything that you need to give up because she's being nice to you. Because she's living the way God has called her to. But you know what? In addition to the being a the the part of being a priest is guess whose responsibility is to teach these things at home. I gotta say one more thing. I'm sorry. I know I'm dominating here, but I, I don't mean to be. You're not doing anything but different if, than we've been if doing. It's, if it's if it's my job and I do that job right, hopefully they and I'm sorry I'm picking on you girls right now, but they will look at the world when they tell them that men are toxic, men are this, men, are, and they go, "Not my dad, not my example." But you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you go, what's wrong with the world? I can throw that page away. This is conversations we're having right now. But you know what? That's perfect. That's what we should. And a father should be passionate about those things. Wanting his daughters to see what the reality is to what a man is and to what a woman is. Not what society is teaching them. You know what? I was going to save this for later. I'm going to do it right now. This comes out of <laughs> repentance and bearing fruit. So then your daughters look and they say, "My dad acts this way because he loves Jesus, not just because he's pursuing some moralism. It's because of what Jesus has done in his life." Uh, in his introduction, this is in the introduction of this book. He talks about the four major categories of deficiency in men. Okay, so these are going to be the things that your daughters and your wives are going to. No, because it's what the society has said men are. Okay? The soft man. The one who adopts a fundamentally effeminate approach. He yields to strong women and takes his cues from her. He does not display assertiveness or aggressiveness. <coughs> he practices a softer, more tentative masculinity. The exaggerated man. He, is, he encounters modern, modern gender ideology and rejects it outright, embracing in, in its place a cartoonish manhood dripping with machismo. Foolishly, he tries to prove his manhood through physical strength. We've seen this in our family. I'm a man, look at me, look at my muscle. Right? Physical strength, flashy wealth, and sexual promiscuity. That's the exaggerated man. The lost man, I'm done. I'm out of here. And he ghosts everything and everybody. The angry man, he not only turns away and walks away from everything, but he's going to destroy everything in the process. There's a better form of manhood than these four types. The strong man. Now listen carefully. Ladies, this is what you want your dad to be. Dads, this is what you need to be. Wives, this is what you want your sons to become. This man is not strong in himself. He's strong through the power of God. He's a redeemed man, born again by the grace and the mercy of his maker. 
He does not live for himself, nor uses his strength for selfish ends. Instead, he uses his strength for the good of others, whether physically, morally, intellectually, or spiritually. The strong man is a force for good. He is a man under discipline and a soldier under orders. He lives not by his own creed, but by the truth of God. The strong man makes no apology for his identity. He recognizes that both by teaching and by nature, he is called to strength. He is the stronger sex and his wife is the weaker vessel. He is called to leadership in the home, the church, and society. The leadership he is called to is primary called to provide is not arbitrary but based on the order of creation he was made first by god and the woman was made from his body thus the strong man whether married as most will be or single is not to be a lone alpha his strength is for the good of himself and others the strong man is not one-sided he's a man of many virtues and distinct vocations this kind of man is tender with a crying daughter Firm yet loving with a foolish son. Humble when confronted in his sin. Quick to listen to his anxious wife. Slow to anger when sinfully attacked. Encouraging to the young men looking to him for help. And respectful to the older men around him. Disciplined with his eating and exercise. Unflinched when urged to compromise his faith. Gentle with the grieving friend. Gracious and humble in his demeanor, moved to tears at a funeral, unflappable in the face of adversity, rough and ready for the trials of this world. Strong men are not one thing. Strong men are many things. That's what you're talking about, Scott. So we've talked about We've talked about the husband's role of being a priest, husband's role of being a protector, husband's role of being a, uh, a husband. Now let's talk about the father part. That's why we're here, right? That's why we got all these young folks here, right? Talk, know what my dad's supposed to do, right? Ch- chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Stop there, because there's three pieces to this. Proverbs Fifteen one says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Pam and I have had a recent conversation with some folks about the fact that one of their children's out of control. And they don't know what to do. And this is where the conversation led. And I had to say to the dad, I said, so what's the, what's the solution here? He said, I need to start responding differently. Yeah, it's a good place to start. Once your heart is right, then you can deal with her heart correctly. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, children, let me touch on this. I'm going to touch on this again next week. Children, that does not mean that when your parents ask you to be obedient to something that's not immoral or illegal or unethical, that they're provoking you to anger. Them shouting at you when you're shouting at them, that's different. 
But them asking you to be obedient is not provoking you to anger. So please don't throw that verse in your dad and mom's face. We're at the second part of this verse, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does this make you think of? What should this make you think of? The call to Genesis 2. To cultivate your garden and keep it. Discipline is pulling the weeds. Instruction is cultivating the ground. Most of us, except John and maybe one or two others, have garden here anymore. But yours is a figurative garden. It's your home. And God's called you to love and to care for those people and to nurture them and to build them up and to discipline them. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. These are always the go-to passages for parents and children. Verse 19. Backtrack a little bit back to the husband part. Love your wives and don't be embittered to them. Okay, Don't live in bitterness to them. Um, let's see, what verse comes before that? Oh yeah, wives be subject to your husbands. So, um, isn't it interesting that Scripture says, it's like he anticipated this. Wives be subject to your own husbands. Husbands, don't be embittered to your wives as if the wives were not being submissive like they should have been, so I'm going to be bitter in the process. I think he anticipated that. When your wives are not, that doesn't release you from doing what you need to do. Interesting. Look at verse 3 and 4. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Huh. Let's see. When your children are not being obedient, you get a little exasperated. And when you get exasperated, they get exasperated, right? It's almost as if he's saying this is going to happen. You need to be watchful not to exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Um, you hear in the, in the, in the world, in the, in the education world that I work in, you don't want to break their spirit. No, they need their spirit broken. They need their heart protected. Because the spirit they're talking about is the spirit of I need to do what I want to do. And guys, that's the selfishness that the world is wanting you to participate in. So I'm going to close with this. This is a small snapshot of biblical manhood. Um, women, older and younger. This is the godly pattern for men. You'll have the world telling you this is bad. The truth is, a man who is being obedient to God's calling of manhood will honor you, protect you, defend you, care for you, and love you better than anything the world can offer. Young men, unmarrieds, this is God's calling for you. Hopefully you've heard this already and you see it as the best guide uh, to being a man, God's man. However, this takes courage. Because you will be at war with the world. 
It's a great and a sacrificial calling. If this is something that you want but you don't have, seek out an older man in this church and ask them to walk through these things with you. You will need courage, trust, and faith, and hope because the world will oppose you. Married men, maybe you're like me and you're figuring this out for the first time. My dad was not this type of man. My grandfathers were not this type of men. I was not this type of father to my boys when they were in my house. I've slowly tried to become that man. And sorrow for not having a father who walked in faithfulness to God is understandable. But don't live in it. You have a heavenly father who's ready to walk through this with you because he's already done it. And he continually does it. <clears throat> don't sit on your hands. If you're, if you're somebody who's got this all together, praise God. Don't sit on your hands. Grab another young father, another young man, another young unmarried, and walk them through this. There are men in this church who have not had what you had. There are men in this church who don't even have a father who's engaged. You need to engage for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your clear teaching on what it means to be a man. Father, I pray that you will burn these into our hearts. For the men, help us to become these men. Help us to be active and not passive in this process. For the women, help them to pray for the men in their lives, their sons, their dads, their brothers. Father, just be with us this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.